Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. You know there is something remarkably similar to this healing story with the healing story of Mark chapter 7, 31 to 37. There you see this healing story of the deaf-mute man. Remember how Jesus put spit on the tongue of the man and put his fingers in his ears? In this one too, Jesus uses spit and puts it on the eyes of the blind man. So there's other similarities too, but it's uniquely to Mark only. You won't find this in the Gospel of Matthew or Luke. Um, It's unique to uh, the Gospel of Mark. So you'll see an amazing connection between the blind man and Peter's confession. Because it's not just about physical healing. Jesus has come to do way more. And that's what he's showing us here in the life of the Apostle Peter. Let's hear God's word. He came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Well, this story has such majesty about it, doesn't it? Uh, Just the the, the reverence for Christ. So what do we live in a world today? We live in a world that is so confused, uh, that lacks the confidence. There's a hopelessness out there because there's a blindness. There's a blindness to the reality that exists. But there's a veil over people's eyes, and that's why they don't see it. It needs to be removed. And who can remove it? Only God. No man can remove it. There's no way we can remove it. It's only God that can remove the veil of blindness from our eyes so that we see him as he truly is and see his glory and majesty and all his power and beauty. It's not the nature of man to know it or to see it, to see the beauty of God. And that's the problem. That's the problem. We need one. We need one. The world needs one who can open ears, open ears to hear the gospel. We saw that in Mark chapter 7. But the world also needs one. And that works very closely together. One that opens the eyes, removes the veil 
you could say, that removes the dark glasses and puts on the clear glasses so that we see clearly who God is, who I am before a holy and majestic God and the world in which he has placed us. To see him and to understand him as he is, as he has revealed himself in his word. And you notice in both these stories, in both these stories, the one that he healed the deaf mute man, but also this one, God intervenes. God intervenes into this world. In whom? In Christ. In Christ, the Messiah. And he is fulfilling the promises that he had given to Isaiah centuries before. Remember that prophecy in Isaiah 35? You see it being fulfilled right here in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What's it say in Isaiah 35? If you look at verses 4 and 5, Behold, your God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And Jesus just shows that that marvel, that majesty, that glory, and in a little way, with the unstopping of the ears, and now with the opening of the eyes of the blind. But it's so much more marvelous in the confession of Peter. It's a confession of faith that only the Father in heaven revealed to him. That's why he could confess. You know, Christ opening the eyes of the blind, of this blind man, it just leads to the, you could say, to the confession of faith from Peter. You see how Christ is working. He opens the insight. He opens the mind and the heart of Peter so that he is led to confess that Jesus is the Christ, manifested in the flesh. We hope to sing that later. Jesus is the Christ, manifested in the flesh. You know, the deaf and blind man here are, as it were, models of the hopelessness and the blindness in this context of Israel. These were God's covenant people. They didn't see. That happens in the church today too. They don't see. And God goes to the poor of the world. God goes to the simple of the world. And he does his amazing work of opening the eyes. Israel, as we read in Mark, these last chapters, you see the blindness of the Pharisees. Also the disciples is really interesting. If you go back to these verses before, uh, just before these verses, verses uh, 17-21, Jesus was asking his disciples pointed questions in his lesson about the bread. He says, you, know, you, have, you have eyes, but don't you see? You have ears, but are you not hearing? That's verse 18. Indeed, the Messiah, he opens ears to hear. He's the one. He's the one who can open our ears to hear He's the one that can open your eyes to see his glory, to see who he really is. Not what other people say he is, but who he really is in his majesty and his glory and his power and his magnificence. He can also open your eyes to see who he really is so that you can confess him and tell others about him. It's the, the two, the, all three go together. When he opens our eyes... We confess him, and we tell others about him. And the one is the overflow of the other. 
So what we'd like to do today is look at two points. Verses 22 to 26. You see, Jesus opens the eyes of the blind man. It doesn't stop there. But Jesus opens the eyes of his disciple, Peter. And with, with him, of course, the, the other disciples. So, let's look at verses 22 to 26. Jesus is going to Bethsaida. Very significant. It's a fishing village. So it's a very humble town. And it's just north, if you look on the map, it's north on the Sea of Galilee, just at the mouth of the Jordan. Now, it may be of interest to you to note that who was from Bethsaida? Which disciples? Well, Peter was one of them. Peter was one of those disciples. That's where he grew up. That's where he was reared. He was a fisherman. And he needs his eyes open just as this man over here does. Okay, he grew up in the village, the small town of Bethsaida, along with Philip and John and Andrew. You read that in John 1.44. But you notice that people here are bringing to him, they're their guides, his guide, I should say. They're bringing to him a blind man, and they beg him. They beg Jesus to touch him. Anybody ever meet a blind person? I mean, we don't know what blindness is like. But I can just imagine, it's like being in a pitch dark room where there's no ray of light. And that's, that's what you're living in day in, day out. Pitch darkness. It's just darkness. Everything in you, in your eyeballs, everything is just dark, dark, dark. Darkness. Can't see. And all you see is darkness. No light, no beauty. No um, ray of light whatsoever. You don't know where to go. You don't know where you're going unless you have someone to guide you. Now, where did this, how did this all happen? How did this come about? Blindness. I mean, not just physical blindness, but spiritual blindness to the things of God. How did that all come about? It's certainly... God certainly didn't make man that way. Because you know, it's Genesis chapter 1, he created the world. And it says in verse 31, and it was very good. Man saw as God saw. That's what we know from Genesis chapter 1. There was no blindness. You know, God made man to see and to see clearly. How did this all come about? Through our first parents who ditched the word of God. They, they put aside the word of God. They disobeyed the word of God. And they listened to Satan. And what does Satan say? Satan deceived them and said, he said this. He said, the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be what? <laughs> open. That's what Satan promised. Your eyes would be opened. And they fell for it. And ever since then, you see the sad results of the blindness in our world. And with it, a darkness. And with it, a death. That since that time, men believe the lie of Satan. And you see the sad results. The Bible says in John 8 verse 12, men walk in darkness. 
Uh, Ephesians 4, it talks about mankind being alienated from the life of God. Well, that's the root cause of the blindness. He's alienated. He's separated. He's, his relationship with God is broken. And therefore, there's this innate blindness. Ephesians 4 says, because of the blindness of their heart. It talks about the blindness of their heart. You know, it, it, the understanding. Yet God, in his abundant grace, in light of his promises, comes to us in the Messiah. He intervenes. He has come. Your God has come to save. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. He has come. And you see that here? Jesus, by his action, reveals that he's the one to whom all the world should turn. And he goes to one who is so lowly, a blind man. What does he do? He takes the man by the hand. So personal, so open. Jesus is so vulnerable. He takes him by the hand. And then, not only that, he spits on his eyes. First of all, he leads him out of town, spits on his eyes, puts his hand on him, and then, and not until then, restores his sight. You know, they bring him to Jesus, and now what happens? Who becomes his guide? Jesus does. Jesus becomes his guide, guide with a capital G. He takes over his life. <laughs> he does everything that needs to be done for him. He's the master of his life. He's the Lord of his life. And it shows in, in the fact that he begins to see. He begins to see clearly. Why does Jesus spit on his eyes? Well, think about it. He can't see anything. And so that sense of touch, blind people apparently had that great sense of touch. Um, and Jesus, by touching his eyes, of course it's with spit, but Jesus is saying, you know, I come to you. Something will be done for your eyes and I will do it. That's what his touch is saying. That's what he's seeing through the touch of Jesus. This man is seeing that. Even though he can't see with his eyes. He's seeing the finger of Jesus when it touches his eyes. Wow. There's something so unique about the way Jesus heals a blind man, isn't there? What's the uniqueness here? He doesn't heal him right away. Often when you see Jesus healing, it's like this. He restores him. He restores sight. He raises the dead. But he might have done it in a moment, but he chooses to do it step by step. That's what we see Jesus doing here. Step by step. You know, the healing comes in two steps. Notice the two steps here. Jesus first asks, if he sees anything, and he just asks his disciples, remember what he just asked his disciples? Do you not see? Do you not see? They didn't. And now you see Jesus asking that same question to the blind man. Do you see anything? <laughs> disciples weren't seeing. But do you see anything? This is a man who, was, who didn't know Jesus. And what does he say? Yeah. Yeah. I see men. Like trees, walking. He was seeing, but it was not clear at all. 
he was not seeing clearly. What did he see? He, see, he saw men that looked like trees just sort of walking around. But you notice when Jesus says, do you see something? Basically, Jesus is saying, open your eyes. I mean, that's the, res- that's the responsibility. Open your eyes. But who's the one who can open the eyes? It's Jesus. He's the only one who can open the eyes. So there's a, in a certain sense, there's a sense of, you've got to open your eyes. But at the same time, I can't open my eyes. Who's the one who can open my eyes? Christ can. It calls for faith. Do you see something? Yeah, I see men that look like trees walking around. Then Jesus puts his hands on his eyes again. And again he makes them to look up. Look up where? Probably to look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. He's fixing his eyes on Jesus. And Jesus puts his eye, hands on his eyes. And then you see the second step. He was restored and saw everything clearly. Everything clearly. 20-20 vision. So you begin to see the contrast here. The first step, he doesn't see clearly. It's not clear vision. And then he sees clearly. Of course, the question can be asked, well, why the two stages? Why the two steps? Why does he not see clearly first? And why clearly later? Why didn't Jesus just heal him at once? Oh, some say, you know what? Jesus was lacking power at that moment. And some would say, well, if you fail to succeed, try and try again. Is that what's happening here? Not at all. It's unusual, yes. But Jesus here, you have to look at the context here. Jesus is specifically wanting to reveal himself. He wants to say something to his disciples through this. And to us. To all of us here. And what is that? Yeah. He restores sight to the blind. He opens our eyes through faith in him. Yes, we perceive. But on the other hand, it's a lifelong process, isn't it? It's a lifelong process. We don't see clearly until we go into glory. Now we see dimly, says 1 Corinthians 13. Then we will see face to face. Then we will see clearly. There's a certain sense of yeah, it's, it's a process. It's a process. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who works in our lives so that our eyes, that our vision becomes more and more clear. Just like the blind man who did not see clearly all at once. So likewise his disciples. They're not seeing everything clearly at once. They're just not seeing everything clearly at once. As a matter of fact, we saw in verse 18, they failed to see Jesus, who he really was. And so they're moving too. They're moving from blindness to seeing clearly. And so it is in the Christian life. By faith we see. And you know, the only way we're going to see is if God gives us the gift to see. The ability to see is the gift of God. It's the gift of God's grace. He doesn't give it to the smart people first or to the educated He gives it to whom he chooses. And those whom he chooses, they see. And this is simply a marvel. This is simply a reason for us to give praise to God for his grace. Because why me? Why me? But look who I am. 
Why did you choose me? It's for the praise of his glory, like this blind man. It's a gift. And even here, this man didn't see everything at once. We don't see everything clearly once Christ opens our eyes. Our vision remains imperfect. Our vision often remains blurred. You could say there's a growth in faith. And when there's a growth in faith, it's because the Lord is also opening our eyes to see more and more of his beauty, of his glory. And that's what, you know, sometimes, sometimes sin and unbelief stand in the way of our vision. And we don't see the glory of Jesus as we should. And we don't see the glory of Jesus in the body of fellow believers as we should. It looks like sometimes we're just seeing men looking like trees, sort of walking around. It's not clear. The problem is not God. The problem is with us. The problem is our own sin, our own unbelief. And then you begin to see that, yeah, that miracle of seeing needs to occur all the life long. Now, the promise is God who begins a good work in you of seeing He will continue to complete it. But we have to be under the means. What are the means of grace? The Word of God. The Holy Spirit. He's the one who illumines. He's the one who brings light into us through the Word of God. That's how God keeps us opening our eyes as we continue to hear His Word, to hear His Word proclaimed. It's the Holy Spirit, you could say, turning the lights on. You ever have those moments you say, aha, I never saw that before. I think that happens to every believer. It happens to every believer. Uh, in different times, in different ways. It can be one verse in the scriptures. It can be in a conversation. He says, how come I never saw that before? That's just one example of how the Lord continues to, to refine our vision so that we may see more and more clearly. I believe that's what's really going on here. The Lord is teaching us. Yeah, I give you sight, but you have to remain dependent on me your whole life. Because it's by my spirit, through my word, that I continue to give you the sight that you need in order to live your daily life, to live your life with your family, to do your work in the workplace. You need to see clearly. We need 2020 vision. Of course, we don't have 2020 vision, but that's coming. We may trust in the Lord to continue to work in us. You know, the beautiful thing is that the risen Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, continues to turn the lights on in us. He continues, there's that word illumine, right? Illumine means to turn the lights on by his Spirit. That's the means of grace that God uses by his Spirit to grow our faith, to grow in our vision, to grow in our vision for the kingdom, to grow in our vision for the family, to grow in our vision for the church, for the body of believers. It's all part of the package. Ephesians 1.18, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about the amazing resurrection of Christ and what it's done to the church. And then he says in 1 verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, <laughs> so it's, it's your understanding. He talks about the eyes of your understanding. It's being enlightened, it's being illumined. It's being opened. 
Lifelong process. The ability to see is a gift of God. It's not from us. You know, the blind man who was restored, and later he saw everything clearly, and so likewise Jesus promised. If you think of Philippians 1 verse 6, you began a good work in you, will complete it. Right? He's a complete Savior. He's not going to say, I'm going to give you sight and dump you. People dump one another. That happens. That's not our Savior. Our Savior is not half a Savior. He's a complete Savior. He, you can trust Him that He will continue to give you the sight that you need to the very end of your life. But yeah, He gives the means for that, right? Open your eyes to my word. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the source of light. He's the source of life. You see the power of the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who gives sight to the blind. He's the same one who opens the eyes of Peter. That leads us to our second point. You know, that first healing touch, that first healing touch for Peter and the other disciples comes on the road to Caesarea Philippi. The disciples are walking with Jesus. And now Jesus is ready to put his healing touch on the eyes of Peter and the other disciples. They were disciples. They were not seeing him as they should. How that grieved our master. How he must have suffered by that. Yes, Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles even further north from Bethsaida. As a matter of fact, it was on the border of Israel. You could say covenant land. And the world. And what a significant place for a confession to be made for the Christ of the world. He's the light of the world. Very, very significant that this confession takes place here. This is where the remarkable confession is made by Peter. A remarkable confession which will eventually change the entire world. But it begins here. It begins here with the confession of Peter. Confession of faith. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. You know, on the road, Jesus asks his disciples, you know, his first question is, he doesn't say, who do you say I am? He first asks the question, who do men say I am? You know, what are others saying about me? I mean, you, you hear that. I hear that. We hear that on the streets and in the workplace. People have all kinds of opinions of Jesus, right? You have many opinions of Jesus. And in that day, too, in the days of the disciples, there are many opinions of Jesus. Some were saying he was John the Baptist. Remember Herod? When he saw Jesus, he thought John the Baptist had risen from the dead. Okay? Some were saying that he's Elijah. Well, did Elijah, Elijah never died, and they thought, well, maybe he returned in Jesus. And some were saying, well, he's a prophet. Luke, the Gospel of Luke talks about how they even thought that maybe some of the prophets had risen from the dead. So there's lots of opinions flying around about who Jesus was. And the disciples, are saying, the disciples are saying, that's what others are saying. Wow, those were the popular opinions of the day. To say that Jesus is Elijah, to say that he's John the Baptist, or to say that he's a great prophet, or as often as we hear today, he's the greatest teacher who ever lived. Sometimes you hear that. He's the greatest moral example who ever lived. You hear that too. He's the greatest miracle worker who ever lived. 
You hear all kinds of opinions. But you know what? It may seem like an honor. It may seem like the unbeliever is paying a compliment. But it's not. It's not. It's not a compliment. It's a denial. It's a denial of who Jesus really is. Because all of them have this thing in common. They all see Jesus only as a man. A good man, maybe. Maybe a superman. All of them alike are in blindness. We have to understand that. People maybe, people from other religions can give the highest compliments to Jesus. But it hurts Jesus because that's not who he is. He's way more than that. We have to understand that. It's not a compliment. It's a denial. It's a denial of who Christ is in the flesh. The God in the flesh. We have to think through that. You know, the Bible is really clear that the veil is still on their eyes. And just as it was on our eyes too, they too need to have that veil lifted so they see the glory of Jesus, who he really is. Yes, whether Elijah, John the Baptist, or a prophet makes no essential difference because all they're saying about Jesus is that he's a man. That's all. That's all. Jesus is way more than that. And the only way we come to know Jesus way more than that is if God removes the veil from the eyes of man and to see his glory for who he really is. And that is only by his powerful work by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And that's why Jesus says, how about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? It's a very strong emphasis on you. Who do you yourself Say that I am. It's a very personal question. It calls for a confession. It calls for a confession of faith. And that faith can only come from God. Peter answered and said to him, and this is an amazing moment, a high point in Christ's ministry. Peter says, You are the Christ. And Christ literally means anointed. You are the anointed one of God. Think back to Isaiah 35. God will come and God will save you. He's the I am. This is the Christ. You are the Christ. In Matthew's version, Peter says a little bit more. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is who he is. It's a very personal confession, but it's also a bold confession. It's a public confession. Not only because, we'll put it this way, it's a bold confession also because this confession stands against the opinions of all others. It's against all the opinions of others, whatever they may say about Jesus. And that's why you see in the world today such a hostile reaction, a hostile response to Christians who confess who Jesus really is. Yes. It's the truth. It corresponds. This corresponds to reality. That's just not my own personal faith. Yes, it is personal. But it's public. It's truth. It's the only truth about Christ. 
He is the Christ. He's not just a man. He's not what the imaginations of people make him to be, no matter how laudable they exalt him. They need the veil removed from their eyes. That's what needs to happen. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not see or does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Just remember when we go out into the when we go into the streets, and when people say these things about Jesus, understand what's going on. They don't know. They can't know. They won't know. They will not know. Yes, God removes the veil. And he enables us to see by faith. That's the only way we can come to a confession of faith. You are the Christ. He needs to remove the veil. And when he does, that's an amazing work of God. It's a cult of faith, yes. We need to open our eyes. But he's the one who opens our eyes. And then we come to see. Christ is the culmination of history. He's the culmination of the Old Testament. He's the culmination of the promises of God. He's the one and only Savior for all mankind. This is who he is. He's the one. He's the truth. And Peter confesses his faith because God in his grace has removed the veil and enabled him to see. He has revealed it to him. Remember what Jesus says later to Peter in Matthew chapter 16? He says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. My Father has taken that covering away from your eyes. He's the Christ. The one who brings in the kingdom. The reign of God for all who believe. Peace and joy and love and clarity and sight and hearing. All those things that the world is clamoring for. He gives. He brings. Jesus alone has the power to save us from our sin. You know, he was appointed by God to be a mediator and the Messiah. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Messiah. To be what? To be our chief prophet. And as our chief prophet, what's he do? Well, he reveals the way of salvation of God. He is God's revelation. He himself is God's revelation. He's the true, the one, and the only prophet. Not only is he our prophet, he's our only high priest. He's the one who opens and secures the way of salvation for us through his final sacrifice on the cross. This is it. He's the one. This corresponds to all reality. This is the truth. The only truth. Whether I personally believe it or not, I might not personally believe it, but it's still the truth. Even if I deny it, it's still the truth. Yes, this is Jesus. He's the Christ. He's our only high priest. He's our only prophet, our chief prophet. He's our eternal king. And he's the one who's going to keep us in his way of salvation and obtain for us the victory of salvation. Now I think we understand why the world persecutes Christians. Because this confession brings out hostility from those who will not and cannot confess. You know, he's the one. 
He's the one whom we need to turn to in our desperation. Look up. That's what he said to the blind man. Look up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who restores. He's the one who gives you peace. He's the one who gives you joy. He's the one who gives you what you need to live your life so that we see clearly. He's the one who brings us into fellowship with him and to one another. He's the one who can bring you through your circumstances. And we know we can trust him for that because he loves us. That he So much so that he died for us. Trust him. Believe him. Follow him. At this point, you notice what Jesus strictly warns his disciples? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, that's already an indication that's the truth. Don't tell anyone. I mean, he is the Christ. Don't tell anyone else that he's the Christ. And you see that earlier with the blind man. Jesus likewise said, don't go back home. Don't go back, sorry, don't go back into the town and tell anybody. You just go straight to your home. Why does Jesus say that? Don't tell anyone. Well, it was not time to proclaim it. There was many misunderstandings about what it was that Jesus is the Messiah. They had to wait till the time that Jesus would die on the cross and rise again from the dead. Only then do you see the effective power of Christ working in the world as he opens our eyes through the preaching of the gospel, the gospel which is Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Therefore he calls me to repent of my sin and to live in him. That, that's, that, that's, the, that's, that's the essence uh, of the gospel. And Jesus wanted to wait until that time. Until then, don't tell anyone. Well, today, we know Christ, the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And now he commands us to do what? Go and tell. It's the opposite. Right? If he has opened your eyes, then that will flow out in a confession, a confession that stands against the world. And not only flow out in a confession, it will also flow out in telling others. Out of the fullness of the heart. It's just one leads to the other. Open eyes, confession, and telling others. Go and tell. Mark 15. After Jesus rose again from the dead, he says to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and tell. He's the one. He's the Christ. He's the one who has manifested himself in the flesh. God in the flesh. And just because people don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. It's the truth regardless. It's not just a personal thing. It's public. It's real. It corresponds to reality. There's no way of... We, we can, any person may deny it. But it's the truth. It's public truth. And that's what makes the, the uh, telling others so important because people need to hear. People need to know the truth. He's the Christ. By this, by the way, if, if this is not your confession, he also calls you to believe in him. And then you will see. Really, really important. And then... Without him, we remain blind and in darkness. That's a horrible condition to be in. It's sad. 
is one of desperation. In him, there is no longer confusion, but clarity. No longer darkness, but light. No longer opinion, but truth. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. Amen.